This podcast is sponsored by LiveProducersOnline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Ableton Music Producer Podcast. This is Dan Giffen, like always. Uh, just wanted to give a shout out to today's special guest. I'm really stoked. Her name is Yan Zhu. She's a security researcher and chief information security officer at Brave Software. She's also a talk reviewer for DEF CON, and she was listed as one of the 30 under 30 in enterprise technology by Forbes, which is super cool. I'm stoked to have her on the podcast today. Uh, she also produces under the name Azuki, and she's an up and coming DJ, producer, hacker on the West Coast based music scene. Um, she probably knows your password and you don't even know it. She's just a brilliant person and I actually found her on YouTube um, doing a series on how to hack Ableton Live using Python scripts. Just crazy good stuff. So I'm stoked to have her on the podcast today. Thank you for listening, everyone. And here is today's episode. Thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to get to know you better. And like for the listeners, uh, you might be like, definitely in the top two or three most tech savvy people I've had on the <laughs> podcast. Tell us like a little bit about what you're doing right now. I know you're working with Brave as the chief information security officer. So what is what does that look like? Yeah, so I guess, uh, as you said, my day job is software engineering, especially in computer security and privacy. Um, but kind of the side passions I have are making music, DJing, and um like generally trying to make people's lives the musicians lives easier through technology and yeah. i kind of think like the the last one is kind of where um i want to focus this podcast because i think um there's a couple areas where you know things could be greatly improved such as monetization um For sure yeah and some some of the workflow that yeah, people yeah. do yeah, so monetization, what do you mean in that sense? Like, what, what type of monetization? Well, so I think, uh, like, as you said, it's really hard to make money from Spotify unless you're a bigger artist because the amount yeah. that people get per stream is really low. Um, and, of course, there's alternatives like Bandcamp where it's it's more like uh, you pay what you want or you, you pay artists directly and then they get a much larger cut. Right. Of, um, uh, but... Uh, Brave is kind of more in that latter category. So we're a web browser that's focused on uh, privacy and speed. But at the same time, um, we want to kind of help creators, not just musicians, but just creators of any content that goes on the web um, to help them make more money. So, right on. And yeah. crypto is part of that too, right? I mean... Yeah, uh, I would say that's uh, definitely part of it. Um, a lot of people know us as like the cryptocurrency browser, although right. that's not how I think of it. I think of us more as like a browser that's trying to um, generate more revenues for creators um, for sure. instead of through like the traditional ad ads revenue model. Yeah. Right. Sure. Well, like I know that you've you've done a lot like inside the music realm as well. I mean, you you've collabed with Mr. Bill as we were talking about. Been wanting to have him on this podcast for a while, and you recently went on a tour with him. And if the listeners, if you've never heard of Mr. Bill, shame on you. You should go check him out. He <laughs> makes he makes really dope video tutorials and Ableton Live as well. Yeah, and that's actually how we we connected. As I saw, you made a video on how to hack uh, an Ableton Live set and throw it into RecordVox using a script uh, with a software called Python, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, honestly, I have not been doing stuff in music for very long, like maybe since 2017 or 18. So right. I, I consider myself like a huge noob in this world. 
Um, And yeah, like uh, mainly part of what I've been focusing on in the last six months or so is just um, figuring out ways to use programming to make the music workflow easier for people, including myself. But I try to give away all the tools I make for free so anyone can use them. Yeah. Well, you've been, this is like music's not new for you. Like you grew up playing, was it flute? Like (laughs) you were a a flutist or a flautist or whatever it's called. Yeah. (laughs) A flautist. So like, yeah, tell us about your musical background. I'd like to also talk about how that translate into using technology in the music you're doing now. Right. So I started out playing, um, Actually, it was really interesting because, like, a lot of Asian kids, like, their parents are like, you have to learn piano when you're three years old and violin and stuff. But my parents were the opposite. They were like, oh, just, like, don't do music stuff because you can't get a job doing it. So <laughs> uh, so I started, uh, yeah, playing flute when I was in middle school. And then um, uh, around high school, I got really into, like, classical and jazz composition uh, so I made, I wrote like a really short wind symphony and like a bunch of orchestral stuff. Um, and I was using Finale, which is a so- scoring software that yeah. a lot of people in classical music use. But I don't think anyone uses that for electronic music. No, oh, you much. probably could. You could probably hack Finale and make it cool if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I think people mainly use it because it has these really good, um, like, MIDI sound libraries. So if you're making, like, an orchestra score, you can get, like, a trombone that really sounds like a trombone. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And such, so. There's a um, there's a company that makes really good expressive instruments. I think it's called SWAM, mm-hmm. S-W-A-M. They make a lot of really expressive, like, instruments. Like, um, they have a saxophone plug-in that's really awesome. <laughs> that's awesome yeah it sounds pretty legit as, as like a vst yeah you know? yeah totally oh, yeah it's pretty nice yeah. even if like you're using uh like one of those wind instruments like wind midi controllers mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about i'm trying to think of the proper name uh oh yeah i've seen these it's like a midi of like flute recorder yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it works really great with those a lot of people that use those midi wind instruments are actually using swam too it sounds really great with those that's really but, cool but yeah so like you grew up like doing classical stuff and now you obviously is the Ableton live podcast. You're using Ableton to do some of your producing. Yeah. Uh, like only, how... only Ableton. <laughs> I don't use anything else. Anymore. Yeah. Right. For good reasons. For good yeah. reasons. How did you start getting into Ableton live? Like when did that start for you and what made you jump into that? Um, I actually first heard of Ableton maybe around 2011 when, um, I had some friends in college who were really into electronic music and they were doing like more experimental stuff, not like EDM. And they, they were talking about it. And I first got my hands on it because I bought a MIDI keyboard and it just came with, you know, that free trial version of Ableton, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which actually made several tunes in before upgrading. So nice, nice. Yeah. You can get pretty far with just the trial. Um, yeah. I went from Cubase into Ableton Live and oh, very different, <laughs> very, very different. Yeah. And I was, it took me like a whole day to figure out how to get sound out of live. It was like <laughs> super confusing. I was like, what is this monster I'm playing with? Man. But, oh, actually the fun. Yeah. The, I, Ableton has all these things that has like, it has such a weirdly big learning curve in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I like that reminded me, like when I was learning Ableton, I didn't know how to use automation for like a good six months because I just I didn't read the manual and I was like, oh, how do I make it get louder or quieter? I'll just like copy it into a new clip, which is like louder. Right. <laughs> Let's do that. Right. So, That's yeah. funny. 
your music's like really cool too. It's um, I guess in my own words, I would call it like experimental is a bad word. I feel like experimental gets a bad like connotation to it, but it's like experimental based music, and uh, it's just really like interesting textures. It it definitely has um, like a kind of a darker, more ambient dance based kind of vibe, and I really dig it. I've been getting into more of that kind of stuff lately. That's awesome. Really tight. Um, As far as yeah, for sure. Um, so you're, you perform live, you've played at a couple different festivals. Um, you played at, uh, priceless festival. I actually mm-hmm. looked it up. I've never heard of it until recently. It's, tiny. it's a yeah. really, really small festival. Yeah. Um, sometimes those are the best ones though. Like playing smaller shows oftentimes are sometimes my favorite. Is that yeah. you with the audience and you create like a small experience and meet people that way. Yeah. Um, I would say priceless is kind of interesting in that it's been going on for uh like 10 plus years as far as i know and it's always been so small like less than a thousand people ish for most of its history and um there's three stages so and each of the stages is also really small like even when it's like fully packed there's a there's only a hundred people there yeah so it's often confusing the artists when they get there because they're like oh like how is this like such a small festival but yeah um, yeah was like somehow if it works out financially and it happens every year nice yeah. and where are you currently living right now where are you based i'm in san francisco right on Bay yeah area. that's cool yeah. i'll be in pasadena next week for the ableton certification actually I love oh are you taking the exam for that or? yeah yeah oh, i'm awesome. going through the two-day testing of all that good stuff but oh, so i love the west coast it's beautiful yeah san francisco is is no exception it's awesome um yeah so what does your live performance look like i mean you played this show and i know you did um you created a custom script for the apc 40 yeah Uh, can you talk about like what inspired that like what made that and what you're using it for sure so my my live setup right now is really boring it's just if i'm djing it's mainly i just use cdjs because it's easy and like you just all you have to do is carry a usb stick that's nice Um, i have been doing more like set preparation in ableton like making edits of things and then copying that in a record box um but yeah so i i I guess i switched from uh, djing in ableton which is what i did for like my first year of djing into using record box and cdjs this past summer and uh, that's actually what inspired me to make the script that converts ableton cues into record box cues um, because I had like hundreds of tracks and I wanted to move them all to record box, but like all my cue points were in Ableton. Um, so I actually did this by hand and it took a couple of weeks, but yeah, later, I realized, yeah, later I realized yeah. like, you know, with some basic programming, you can just write a script to do it in like a few seconds. So that's awesome. That's yeah. a whole new world, like outside of my scope of technology. So when I saw that tutorial video, I was like, this is really dope. Like I need... I want this script, so I, I need to play with it. But I thought that was really valuable, especially for that convenience of like instead of carrying your laptop and a bunch of MIDI controllers, if you can just carry a flash drive, it's a lot easier. But oftentimes, you know, you set up a lot of your live performance or you have all of your music in Ableton, and it's just easy if you can actually convert all that into Record Box. For those who don't know what Record Box is, if you're listening, and you're not sure. That's uh, it's like a DJing software where you prepare your live sets. And then you can just import that with a flash drive into pretty much any CDJ. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's a lot of DJs 
are using that. And that's kind of the go-to main software these days. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people where, um, you know, they'll use CDJs. Like Bill does this. He'll use CDJs if he's playing a back-to-back set with someone. Um, mm-hmm. Like he has this collab project called uh, Mr. Bill Gates with Ill Gates. Yeah. And so, like, you can't... Re- I guess you can technically do a back-to-back set in Ableton if you use, like, the Ableton, I think it's called Link or something. Um, yeah. I've never actually used it. Yeah, totally. But yeah, people don't, for some reason, like, don't really perform doing that. Like, they prefer CDJs. So. For sure. Yeah, it's the convenience. Yeah. It was funny. I remember I showed up uh, a, a pretty popular up-and-coming club in Indianapolis, uh, like, I was the only person that showed up with a laptop because I didn't mm-hmm. know how to use CDJs very well at all. And so they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, this is how I'm playing. I'm using my APC 40 in a laptop. And they're just like, well, what do we plug you into? Like they were all confused. <laughs> I was like, yeah. really? Like this is a thing, really? Yeah. And so, so we had just plugged into the mixer and like, you know, oftentimes back to back sets, like you were saying, it's a matter of just fading out of one set straight into the other. You don't want to actually stop the vibe. You don't want the music to stop. And so that was like there i had to like basically go buy an aux cable to rca so Mm -hmm. like before the show just so i could like plug into the mixer of the cdj and have that happen yeah yeah for anyone out there listening who's uh primarily djing in ableton i would well it's just my opinion that like it's really helpful to learn cdjs just because at some point you might go to get booked at a club where like they don't really want you to bring your own laptop and have Mm -hmm. like a fancier setup and yeah take it from me (laughs) (laughs) it's true yeah very very true yeah Mm -hmm. so i mean you've had a lot of other accomplishments outside of music as well and the technical world i think is really cool um, you were listed as one of the 30 under 30 in enterprise technology by Forbes magazine. That's pretty dope. That's not yeah, it like... sounds dope, but it's actually kind of dumb because like, <laughs> like everyone thinks, I don't know, like whenever I put that on some biography, like everyone points that out, but like, it's just called 30 under 30, but there's like 30, there's like 20 or 30 categories. So it's actually like 600 under 30. So okay. if you say it that way, like I was one of the 600 under 30, that's like not, yeah, doesn't I mean, sound as cool. <laughs> but when you're talking yeah. about like billions of people in the world, like that's still pretty cool. Like the yeah. technology. Yeah. I guess it's like biased too, to, to, towards people who like know someone who works at Forbes. You know, that's true yeah. in every industry. Yeah, that's true. Like I've heard that's the thing for like DJ, like top hundred lists as well. It's just like, who do you know who makes mm-hmm. the list? Oh, I'm amazed when I still go to festivals and I hear like music that sounds terrible. And it's just because some guy probably knew some festival booking manager. And it was like, dude, your music's not that great. Like, I don't yeah. know how you're playing. You just doesn't even, <laughs> how, doesn't even know how to DJ. But I mean, a lot of time it is what you know or who you know. Yeah. But um, so you said you played with Mr. Bill or you did a tour with him. What was that like? Um, that was my first touring experience and uh bill says it wasn't even like a real tour it was just like a light tour because we just had a show once per week pretty much for like three weeks um and it was an yeah i don't know but i feel like a real tour like well from what i've heard is people doing shows like four days or three three days a week i don't know um but it was cool i guess it was um it was in Australia, which is like a place I'd never been before. So it's kind of tricky to, as a DJ to be like, what kinds of music do people like? And like, how do I read them? Like, do they react the same way as crowds in yeah. San Francisco or 
um, differently. And I would say like the main difference was people really, really like Psytrance <laughs> there. Psytrance, okay. Yeah, which seems right to be like, a very country-specific thing. Like like Bill says, like Israel, Brazil, and Australia, people are just like crazy for that genre. But okay. like in the U.S., it doesn't really seem to be a thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's interesting. I see a lot of these genres like it, like certain parts in certain countries, it'll be like late adopters. Like Psytrance, who knows, like on the West Coast might be freaking huge in like a couple of years you know it, it might just take a while to get there yeah maybe yeah, <laughs> i feel maybe. like we had our chance already given that it's like, <laughs> been around for a while yeah especially in electronic music in my own personal experience and i might be way off so don't judge me whoever's listening to this but i see a lot of times europe typically there's like a trend within like mainstream electronic music a lot of what becomes popular in europe usually half a decade later starts to translate into the states um mm. just from what i've seen i mean i saw that with like drum and bass like 10 years ago but, like drum and bass was like big in europe and then it started translating over to the us and started becoming more popular in certain states um i see that a lot with like different parts of the world mm. starts filtering out and takes a while to get to other places interesting yeah so another thing i saw in your bio i thought it was pretty funny it was pretty cool is like you ended up dropping out of high school and then soon after ended up completing a bachelor's of science in physics from mit <laughs> like yeah. how does that happen can you explain that yeah i mean it's, again it's like one of those things that sounds cooler when you say it but mainly it was just i went to like a really shitty high school and um i went to like a public school in st louis and i just wasn't learning anything so i went, applied and got into college early yeah, college was a much better experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, yeah. MIT isn't any joke. That's a pretty legit, pretty legit place. Yeah, but like I rarely use anything I learned there anymore. I feel <laughs> like it was a pure physics degree and like no one. Uh, it's pretty rare that you like have to use physics outside of like research. So. Yeah, that might be true. Maybe, <laughs> but not a lot of people get into MIT in the first place. So I think you're just being really humble. <laughs> I don't know. Cool. It doesn't feel like that that cool to me. I, I think there's people doing cooler stuff. Like yeah. when I see someone who's like a 15 year old uh, like music producer who's made like all these awesome tracks, I'm like, oh, that's way cooler. Yeah. But but I think there is a bias there in that like whatever you know you do, like you might think it's like easier than what other people do. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard is uh, "comparison kills creativity." So yeah like, for me true. i have to fight that a lot is like if i'm comparing myself to somebody else all the time there's always going to be somebody that's better at something than i am doesn't matter what i yeah. do you know but maybe and, it can go the other way too like if you see someone who's like popular who's who you're like oh i could make that kind of music then maybe that'll like motivate you to make for that. sure yeah no totally <laughs> that's there's a lot of people out there making crap that's also true it's <laughs> very very true um as far as like future music projects that you have in the works like what are you working on now like what's the long-term vision your artist's name is asuki how did you come up with that your like uh image is a rabbit <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's great and yeah. actually your instagram bio says uh i'm famous on twitter for hacker stuff but this account is mostly music and rabbits <laughs> which i love that Just yeah that. it's a pretty <laughs> I think as far as like music projects go, mine was started extremely arbitrarily. A lot of people spend like, you know, a long time trying to figure out my DJ name. And for me, for me, it was like, 
I just was on SoundCloud looking for usernames that weren't taken because one of my constraints was I want it, I want my artist name to just be like the same as my SoundCloud URL name. Um, and I tried like a million different words and finally Azuki was not taken and it's the name of my rabbit. Oh, <laughs> um, nice. I have so, a pet rabbit. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. What kind of rabbit is he? Is he like a white rabbit, uh, black rabbit? He's like a small, a small, like not very friendly black rabbit. <laughs> he's, and... a, he's a mean black rabbit. Yeah, exactly. But he's very okay. small. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. You should like sample him in a track or something. See, that's the thing. Everyone says that, but he doesn't make any sounds like because rabbits are prey animals. And so yeah, they, that's true. they it try to be quiet. Oh, uh, no. No squeaking? <laughs> No, okay. I mean, the most sound he makes, which I actually did record once, was him um, drinking water because he like <laughs> licks it and it makes like a splashy noise, but it's not very, That's not very distinctive. Yeah. Put that in a drum rack and maybe some <laughs> or something. Yeah, some OTT. There you go. Very yeah, loud. A lot of OTTs. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and as far as projects go, um, uh, right now I'm actually focusing a little bit more on max for live um like that is a technology that i've tried to not learn for the longest time because max is this visual programming language i think for a lot of people who come from you know like traditional text-based programming Mm -hmm. uh, we look at it and we're like oh this this is all visual and you have to like click things that doesn't seem very efficient or fun to do so for for yeah so for the last few years i was like i'm not gonna even like bother to learn max um but recently i found out you can just write this programming language called javascript mm-hmm. uh in it which i know pretty well so uh, i did some of that okay, so i didn't know that i didn't know you could run javascript inside max you can yeah there's um so like everything in the live object model you can access from javascript using max very cool it's pretty cool yeah yeah um, I just started yeah. diving into Max for Live. For anybody mm-hmm. who's not super familiar, because there's a lot of people, all different experience levels listening, uh, Max for Live, like you said, is a visual programming language, which um, eventually was cr- it was created originally by a company called Cycling74 that mm-hmm. ended up becoming um, uh, Ableton, ended up partnering with them. And with the release of Ableton Live 10, now it comes bundled inside of Live Suite. And so it's included when you install Ableton Live and it just allows you to create like your own custom effects and instruments and all types of different things to be able to have whatever end result you want to hack Ableton or to do different things. Um, Which is, yeah, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is how much have you done with Max for Live? I just started really getting into it recently. Yeah, same. I only started getting into it. Yeah, It's funny that you say that like you like the more text-based programming Mm because for me, I like the simple, easy drag and drop object (laughs) that it has for you. Makes it easy for people like me who don't know anything about Java or Mm text-based anything. Yeah, I have this problem. I have like the exact opposite problem that a lot of music people have. So I've, I've talked to a lot of um, people who have seen these scripts I've written and basically their question is like, how do I run this? Because there's no like easy drag and drop interface for like running a Python script. Um, and so like I've been told like if you want anyone to be able to run this, you have to just like make it into a package or like make it into a VST where someone can just like click it and it runs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually like have a lot of trouble with like drag and drop interfaces. Like I don't find them intuitive. Yeah. Um, and I have the same issue with YouTube videos. Like I've noticed every 
like music tutorial is a YouTube video. And for me, I just like learn much better if it's written down as, as text. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so have you ever considered dabbling into the world of actually programming VSTs or like audio plugins? Uh, yeah, so I've done a little VST programming, but I haven't really enjoyed it. I think there's a couple of things that are kind of annoying with it. One is that um, you have to use this language called C++, which is uh, which I don't know super well personally and mm -hmm. is kind of an annoying language to work with. And also you have to, um, so when you make a VST, it has to run on like both Mac and Windows usually if you want to like mm -hmm. sell it to the largest number of people, you definitely want to get it running on at least those two platforms. Sure. Um, and so I use a Mac. And so if I wrote a VST, I'd have to like get a windows VM or like get a windows machine and test it there. Yeah. Um, and like that burden, <laughs> I was just, just like, just oh. send it to Mr. Bill and be like, yo, does this work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make um, it it. Yeah. But, uh, I actually li I like Max, like having, dug a little bit into Max. I, I like it a lot. I guess you can't run it in like other um other uh DAWs, but mm -hmm. I think at least in Ableton, like it works pretty well. It's easier to program and it's like works across all operating systems. For sure. And it's yeah. very like shareable. You know, you could mm -hmm. easily share it with anybody who's running Ableton Live that has Max installed. They can mm -hmm. just pop pull it up super easy and install it. Um it's very shareable. Maxforlive.com. You could be like the next hottest user on there, just uploading all <laughs> kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, I made a couple like, well, I made like one really simple Max patch last night, but I don't even know if it's worth uploading. Like maybe people can give me feedback on it. Hey, do it. Honestly. But basically, yeah. It's just this, um, you know how sometimes when you're uh, doing stuff in MIDI, you want it to be an audio uh, okay. So there's like mainly two ways people do that. They either like freeze the track, freeze the MIDI track, and then like drag that into an audio track, or they like resample it into audio and then right. work with the audio. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I just made a, a simple Max plugin that like you just click one button and it does that. Okay, um, so, so it just makes it a little bit faster. So does <laughs> it replace the current track as if you were freezing and flattening, or does it create a new track? It creates a new track because I think sometimes people like don't want to lose the original MIDI, but nice. Yeah, I think it could just replace the um, original. Okay, nice. So rather than having to like duplicate the track, freeze and flatten, it's just um, you just hit a Max for Live button on the device, and it just automatically yeah. does that for you. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, that's cool. You should send it to me. I'll play All right. it. Cool. Yeah, just cool. don't put a virus in it because I feel like you're smart enough for you could do like hack my <laughs> computer right now without me knowing. And so I actually like read a bunch about this this morning because Max, um, I was just like wondering like what is it capable of? Could you like make a virus in Max? Right. And, yeah, you totally can. Like yeah. you basically have everything. So like every time you load an untrusted mm -hmm. Max patch from so, like from some random website, it's mm -hmm. uh, yeah you you could definitely get a virus that way. Yeah, I was talking to my friend actually earlier today about that. Um, he works in IT and he was talking to me about that. And there was a there was one Max for Live device where you open it and it automatically searches, uh, it does a Google search for cute, <laughs> for cute puppies. And it'll just like, 
So the moment you run it, it just like searches for cute puppies on YouTube and on Google. Does it show it to you in Ableton or something? No, it just opens your browser and just does it right there. Just kind of funny. So yeah, I guess there's like endless possibilities. Yeah, I think someone wrote a Max patch that just like restarts your computer or something. (laughs) (laughs) You could totally mess with people. You could have a lot of fun with this. You could be doing all kinds of stuff. You could make people... You could just like do a max patch that goes straight to your Spotify and just like automatically hits follow or something <laughs> and just market it as something else. Be like, yeah, just like hide like a follow button. Yeah, it'd be a good That's idea. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I think we're onto something here. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually surprised more people don't do this who like make max patches right. or even VSTs. I think you could do all of these things in like a VST as well. Yeah, I think most Max for live developers are white hat type of people yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing yeah. good, good for the community of music. Yeah. So yeah, I guess like with your approach for producing music with all this like tech background that you have, would you say that like your approach to starting a song is different with that technical no, mindset? No, it's absolutely not. I guess like, I think the creativity, like the creative process and this like technical stuff, like tooling and workflow work that I do are like completely separate, like halves of the brain or something, because mm-hmm. um, like I can't, I don't know, like a lot of people I talk to who are programmers who are also musicians say that like one of the best ways to not get any music writing done is to just like work on these programming side projects all the time. Um, so yeah. yeah, I would say like it's more distracting than anything from like the creative flow process. Um, I can see that. Yeah. 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 And I don't think my music starting process is different from anyone else's. Like mainly I just open Ableton and like make a bunch of sounds and then cut them up. Yeah. Try yeah. to find something that sounds good. Right. Um, but actually I was talking to Bill recently about um, some ways that you could make plugins to help people generate ideas um, because a lot of his process is just like, well, I think a lot of people do this. They just like randomly arrange stuff and like try putting in stuff and see what sounds good. Um, so we had an idea to make a plugin that just like randomizes a bunch of parameters. And then uh, you can just click that a bunch of times and be like, oh, okay, that one sounds kind of cool. I'll, I'll keep that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty dope. How, yeah. It sounds familiar to a new Max for Live device that was just released. Huh. Um the guy's name, I'm drawing a blank. He's actually going to be on the podcast pretty soon, but he created something called Factor Synth. Hmm. H- have you seen this? No. Um, yeah, so it's it's like a randomizer for remixing a song. So you can drop oh, in wow. like an audio file. It'll chop it up into a bunch of different pieces, and then you can select the certain pieces that you want. Like it'll extract, like say, the vocal part of that song or whatever else. It'll pull it out and then it'll chop it up for you and just generate random ideas. And you could select those and drag them in as like MIDI clips and continue to work on them. Wow, it's that's re- super interesting. It's, re- it's really interesting. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's called yeah. Factor Synth. Um, and yeah, it's it's brand new. It came out not that long ago. It's, it's kind of a cool. similar idea of just randomizing audio and then playing it back. Nice. Yeah, I see. Uh, it says it uses machine learning, which is... <laughs> right Very fancy right. yeah yeah this guy's pretty next level have you oh. experimented much with like machine learning at all i know that's a whole different rabbit hole no not really i guess if you count just like any kind of data mining as machine learning then like broadly i have done yeah. stuff with it but i yeah i haven't done like neural networks and things like that mm-hmm. so. what are some of your favorite go-to plugins that you use for producing oh plugins um Let's see. I use Serum like everyone else. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a given for yeah, anybody in electronic music. 
recently, like Bill has shown, uh, gotten me into Soothe, which I think I don't think I'm familiar people... with that. Oh, it's really cool. So it basically like, uh, I guess maybe you would call this dynamic EQing, where you put it on a sound and it looks for like the highest frequency peaks oh, in the yeah. sound, and then makes them flatter. So it makes your overall sound like smoother and like flatter sounding yes i have seen this i was talking to a guy named kermode recently and he was mentioning Mm -hmm. this company yeah right Um, on yeah it's pretty cool who's the company that makes this this is called oic oic sound i think oe oek sound this is one (laughs) of their plugins right on yeah i've seen this interface before it looks yeah. pretty. It's just nice to look at, honestly. Yeah. Some, some plugins are really <laughs> ugly and it's uninspiring. If you look at a plugin and it's pretty to look at, I feel like it naturally just sounds better to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like <laughs> visuals. People yeah. like eyes feed a lot into like what they hear. Yeah. This is true. I have to um, remind myself of that when mixing. Like close my eyes sometimes and actually like just focus on my ears rather than my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I found out about recently that's really cool is uh, TrueFi. TrueFi. So, yeah, okay. so it's not a VST. It's more like a operating system application. So basically, it takes whatever is going into your output and then um, EQs it. So it's more closer to like a reference curve. Um, so let's say let's say you have like some really cheap earbuds or headphones, like the ones I'm wearing now. Um, right. so those usually aren't very flat. Like they have like weird peaks and stuff mm-hmm. just because they're using like really cheap hardware. Mm-hmm. So TrueFi takes those peaks and kind of like cancels them out using an EQ curve. So really? then they sound flatter. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so you would just run that like for the output on like the master or something and it would just yeah. do that for your headphones. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you wouldn't even do it on master. You would just run it like for your entire operating system. So like anything coming out of okay. your sound card would be like okay. EQ this way. So in the sense of like installing something like Soundflower, you would just install this and it would just be your output. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Very cool. And I thought this was a cool idea because like um, a lot of people, especially like non-producers, like use really crappy headphones and they're probably not even aware that like Sad. their headphones are adding these like weird peaks and yeah. such in the frequency spectrum yeah. so like like what if apple computers just came with this software so like it could make your headphones all sound better that's a really interesting idea yeah, yeah. there's nothing more tragic than people like mixing their final mix downs on beat headphones or something <laughs> beats is like dude that's not accurate at all like you're yeah. gonna have your mixes are gonna be crazy bass heavy and it's just gonna be sad yeah, but also if you think about like what most people listen to music on, it's probably like really cheap, like fairly mm, standard cheap headphones right, or like right. computer speakers or like phone speakers, which are even worse. Totally. So like that's what they hear all the time. Right. No, I mean that you know that's a fair point too. Is like yeah. referencing is everything, like multiple references. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's you have to, and that's the last thing I listen on is my iPhone. If it sounds mm-hmm. okay on my iPhone after it's passed all my other speakers and everything, then it's a good day. Yeah. For sure. Uh, what about Ableton Live devices as far as like stock Ableton plugins? What are some of your favorite toys? Um, <laughs> Lately, I've been using OTT a lot. Yeah. The good one. Um, there's this new granulator thing called Grain Scanner. Um, okay. I don't think it's a stock device. I think you have to get it somehow, but it's, it's like a pack or something. Yeah, it's like a really cool grain uh, thing. 
Yeah, the granulator uh, um, is a Max for Live device that came out a while ago. Mm-hmm. And then there was the granulator 2 that came out, I think, several years ago. Um, is that what you're talking about? The granulator? No, this is even newer um, okay. than that. Yeah, it's like a it's just called Grain? Grain scanner. Grain scanner. <laughs> I'm going to check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's like a really nice interface. Oh, yeah, it's just on the Ableton uh, yeah. hacks page. So. Okay, right on. Yeah, I've got some homework to do. This yeah. is good. I love it. Yeah. So when is your next single coming out? Oh, man, I have a, I don't know, I have a few that are maybe ready. So there's one that's a remix for someone. And this is actually like my first time doing like an official remix. Um, and it's not out yet because they can't figure out how to release it. So oh, no. yeah, kind of stuck. But I'm hoping that'll be like sometime in the next month or so. Yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of CD Baby or DistroKid when it comes to getting that stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But remixes can be weird and tricky when it comes to actually officially releasing a remix, unless you have permission from the actual original artist. Yeah, well, this this is like the artist hit me up being like, okay. can you make a remix? So it's definitely official. It's just like yeah. they haven't quite figured out what their whole release plan is. So. Yeah. Well, like, I know that you are at work right now, so I don't want to like keep you away <laughs> from your job. But right. as far as like the future of, I guess, like music technology... If you had to make a couple like predictions, like in the future of what that's going to look like from mm-hmm. a programming perspective, like what's next? Like what is the future? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Um, one thing that I, I saw recently that I think could, it's not quite at the level where like producers are using it, but I think it would be in like the next year or a couple years is um, software for automatically generating stems from a song. Um so okay. uh, there's a proof of concept called Spleter, I think, S-P-L-E-E-T-E-R. And right now it's just this like um, program that runs, you, you feed it a song as input, like a rendered wave file or whatever, and it'll split that into a bunch of stems. For instance, you can specify like four stems. I want like a bass, drums, uh, vocals, and everything else. Okay. And it actually is pretty good. So... Like, if you currently want vocals, uh, let's say you're doing, like, a remix and you want just a vocal track and the artist hasn't released an acapella, then what a lot of people do is just try to, like, EQ out all the, like, lows. But that obviously doesn't sound very good. Like, you get tons of leakage from, like, hi-hats and other things. And so this gives gives you, like, a much, much cleaner vocal line uh, for working with. So That's interesting. So can you select the type of instrument you want to extract from it? I think uh, I don't think it's that precise yet. So I think right now it only has a few options. Um, one that's like vocals and everything else, and one that's like vocals, drums, bass, and everything else. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I think like as machine learning gets better at this kind of sound processing, like in the future, maybe you can say like I just want this one instrument. Yeah, out. no, that's really interesting and fascinating. I'd be curious to play with that. Um, are you familiar? There's a very similar thing that came out by Isotope called Music Rebalance. Uh, I've not heard of that. Yeah, it's actually doing that right now. Um, and it works okay. It's called uh-huh. Music Rebalance. It's a part of the Isotope's RX-7 bundle. Mm-hmm. It works okay. It's actually not too bad. They came out with it, I want to say, like two years ago or so, almost, not even. Um, but it only lets you, I believe, have... It only lets you extract vocals... Uh, bass, percussion, and then other, whatever other uh-huh. is. 
Yeah, it sounds um, pretty similar then. Yeah, I played with it and it works okay. I found mm-hmm. that the bass and like the drums, especially the kick drum, sometimes bleed over a mm-hmm. little bit, but it actually works not bad. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I should check that out and see how well that works compared to this other thing. But um, the cool thing about this other thing, Splitter, is that it's, as far as I know, it's all open source. So nice. if someone's a developer, they uh, they can just use that code and put it into their own applications. And Whereas the Isotope, like all of Isotope stuff, as far as I know, is closed source. So yeah, they don't sure. like release any of their algorithms for doing no. this stuff. No, they yeah. don't. They keep that on pretty tight lock. Yeah, it's like how they make money, but exactly, yeah. <laughs> but they make great stuff. Yeah, yeah that. those guys know what they're doing. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think machine learning is something that is going to continue to develop in the music world. I'm really curious to see what that looks like as well, as far as being able to be like, "Here's my idea, make something cool for me," and it just computer just goes in and is like, and just does something for you and makes it yeah like cool i don't know that'll be interesting and then there's the question of is like are you still being creative with like that possibility you know like if machines are making music for us you know is are we using that as like a means to continue producing or are people just gonna like let computers make music for us and then we just release it and call it our own you know that that <laughs> yeah. could be a real thing in the future i don't know yeah i don't know we're definitely pretty i would say we're pretty far off from that like i haven't seen any I don't know. I haven't really looked for any, but I haven't seen great demos of, you know, completely computer generated music where I'm like, oh, that sounds like a human could have made it. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Not yet. Anyway, who knows? Yeah. My my guess is like, it'll be one of those things where computers generate like the seed of an idea and then like people turn that into something interesting. Yeah. um, In the near future. And I don't think that's cheating. I think that's like about as much cheating as like starting with someone else's sample is you know when yeah. you're someone else's presets um, sure. but now instead of like getting a preset from splice it's just like a pre a preset that's generated by machine learning on your computer right or something like that i think it's that balance of like am i using this as the end result or am i using this to be creative with mm-hmm. you know am i making something out of something that's already existed or am i just like taking a four bar loop and calling it my own and just leaving it as it is you know Mm -hmm. i think there's that that fine line that balance but but i I don't know like some yeah i think i agree with you on on that too but i i'm always surprised to like learn about you know these huge songs where they just completely took a four bar loop from some other artists and then like like i think a lot of daft punk songs have this thing where like they found that like they basically just copied a rift exactly from like an old blues tune or something (laughs) (laughs) happens all the time honestly i've done the same thing i'm guilty of that like i was listening to the discover weekly playlist on spotify and i heard like one of the main loops that i used in splice on another guy's track and i'm like that's my song (laughs) (laughs) i like sent him a message on instagram he's like yo that's dope we should be friends oh that's awesome yeah it was funny yeah that's one thing that i think is different from like music and programming is like in programming when you like use other people's code it's like not seen as bad at all it's like oh like Mm. you used it and it worked and like um you did something with it that's great (laughs) yeah like stealing it's just like how the field moves forward is by like copying pasting other people's code (laughs) that's true yeah that's true it's like there's that one funny meme i don't know if you've seen it where it's like talking about how like 
I started using samples and I thought that was cheating. And so then I started like, yeah. it like goes all the way through this long process of eventually he's like, yeah. So I started like making my own drums and then skinning like, <laughs> yeah. sheep to make my own drums. And I had to get yeah. a farm and it's like, it just goes bad. But yeah, I think I saw that on Reddit. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's funny. At some point you just have to start making music, whether you're using samples or not. But yeah. Well, yeah, no, I'm stoked to hear more of the stuff that you release in the future. And uh, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And I encourage everybody to check out your tracks, uh, Azuki. I'll include links in the show notes. So if you guys are listening right now, go check out her stuff. Uh, it's super dope. And yeah, I look forward to hearing more from you. And where's the best place for people to connect with you as far as following you online? Um, I guess I check. I use Twitter the most actively because that's kind of the account I've had the longest for like hacking stuff and software. So yeah. Um, yeah. So Twitter, my Twitter user handle is bcrypt, B-C-R-Y-P-T. Bcrypt. Is there yeah. like a, a Patreon for like crypto out there? Yeah. Like people who can like support you with cryptocurrency? Is that um, a thing? Like that's not something I solicit. Yeah. I kind of don't, uh, <laughs> I'm just no, I mean, I not even for you, but I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking, like, oh, you're saying like, is there a service where you yeah. can, like, do Patreon? I guess Brave is sort of like that. So I, Brave. um, yeah, yeah. If you download Brave browser from Brave.com, you can tip uh pretty much any creator online and cryptocurrency. Cool. So. Right on. Yeah, we'll include a link in the show notes for that too. So I'm actually I haven't really used Brave, but I'm about to go use it right now and play with it. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Um. Like I said earlier, for some reason, this uh, podcast link did not work in Chrome, but it worked in Brave. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a sign. Weird. should yeah. be using that more often. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jan, for sure. And uh, yeah, good luck with the music and everything and Brave. And uh, hopefully we'll send some more people your way from this podcast. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. This podcast is sponsored by LiveProducersOnline.com a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production. 